This is Rumble, and this is Michael Moore, and this is Rumble with Michael Moore. I am traveling with Ben and Jerry, the Ben and Jerry of Ben and Jerry's, and uh, they are uh, supporters and longtime friends from Vermont of uh, Bernie Sanders. And um, we uh, spent the first part of the afternoon doing a Ben and Jerry's ice cream social for Bernie at the um, United Food and Commercial Workers Union Hall in Ottumwa, Iowa, which was great, uh, all these uh, union workers. And uh, now we're in Fairfield, Iowa, at uh, a town where, I guess if you Google this town, it's most famous for where David Lynch and the Transcendental Meditation people have set up a big TM center to learn how to meditate and and get behind the idea of meditation uh, in our schools. So uh, we're here with the townspeople of Fairfield. I don't know how many of them have been meditating, but uh, they look like a, a nice group. We just had a wonderful time with them. We served up some ice cream. Now I'm backstage uh, here waiting for uh, Ben and Jerry. And uh, before we get to them, why don't, why don't I just tell you that the underwriters of today's episode of Rumble, who I really want to thank for supporting me and supporting this show, it's Nat Geo. I think we used to call them National Geographic, National Geographic Magazine, National Geographic Films. Oh my God, how long has National Geographic been with us? Probably for more than 100 years, more than maybe 150. I mean, this is one of the oldest magazines in America, and now they do all this great work making documentaries, and uh, many of my friends have made documentaries with them, and they're just a, a fine, fine group uh, to work with, and they've got this film that's nominated for uh, the Oscars in uh, just a week or two. The film is called The Cave. It's made by a wonderful uh, filmmaker, uh, Faraz Fayed is his name. And he uh, made a, a film that was nominated, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, Last Man in Aleppo. It's obviously, he's covered this tragic, tragic war in Syria for many years now. And uh, this most recent film of his, The Cave, is a powerful look at sort of a makeshift hospital, I guess. I could say it's makeshift because they're trying to operate a hospital in the middle of a war. And it's the first hospital in, I think, Syria, really, ever to be oper- to be run, directed by a woman. So it's a great documentary if you get a chance to see it. Um, and I thank the filmmakers and I thank uh, Nat Geo for underwriting uh, today's episode here on, on the road. And, of course, their underwriting implies no... Um, uh, <laughs> solicitation or uh, 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 sponsorship of uh, the candidate that I happen to be a, a traveling with here. Uh, they're a completely apolitical um, organization, but they give voice to a lot of people who don't have a voice, and I'm eternally grateful for that. And we're rolling. We're rolling. We are rolling here. You're listening to Rumble with Michael Moore. I'm Michael Moore. We are on the road uh, here with the uh, Sanders uh, campaign. Sort of, we're a satellite version now. We've been kind of split off from the main, well, mainly because the our leader is a, he's got jury duty. Oh yeah, yeah, he's got jury that, duty. That, yeah, yeah, you know. And so we're like a good we're, citizen, a, we're a rogue. Uh, we're kind of force. a rogue operation on a mission from the heavens. The gods of ice cream. The, yes, that is Ben Cohen. You just heard of <laughs> Ben and Jerry's the, and across the, the, the table. Unusually modest Ben Cohen. Yes, and and the realistically modest Jerry Greenfield. 
And hi, uh, Michael. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Great. <laughs> so we 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 did a couple of towns here today, uh, the three of us. Yep. Yep. As, as yep. I introduce us, the two guys who uh, invented the modern ice cream, <laughs> known as Ben and Jerry's. Two guys from Vermont who make ice cream, and one guy from Michigan who eats ice cream. And they, you do a good job of it. Yes, we well, appreciate. I, that. I, uh, I unfortunately, I, in the old days, I used to do even a much better, if you could use the word, better job uh, of eating it. For Ben and Jerry's, we were always Vermont's finest all natural ice cream, but there was a little asterisk, and it said, "Except for Heath bars, because we just really love them too much." Did, how so long did that stay on the carton? That is hilarious. I don't know how uh, how long did that stay on. I don't know either, but uh, we were also Vermont's only all-natural ice cream. That's right. <laughs> so making the finest claim wasn't really that much of a leap. <laughs> wasn't hard to do. Um, so, so we'll see. We'll, 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 well, we'll see. Only the five of us will know whether this made it on. But generally, my, my intention is to, for people not to think that there's uh, some kind of hand that comes into this podcast and makes it You right, want it to be like Cinema Verite. Yes, this is Cinema Verite, but with audio only. You know, I, I noticed that you're wearing the, in poll after poll after poll, Bernie Beats Trump button. I want yes. you to know yes. that uh, that's my button. I caused that oh, button to come happen. into being. Oh, I being. love this button. Yeah, there was a and it's easy to short read. time when I would... <laughs> yes. Right? Yes, it is, yeah. BBT, Bernie Beats Trump. I don't, I'm not a big button wearer, but this button is just the truth. It spoke to you. Well, yeah. because it is, I realize now what every poll says I know is true because I travel the country. The number one thing, the number one priority is to remove Trump. And we know there's other work we have to do. It's not just that. But we can't get anything done with the way the situation is now. So if that's where people are at, you've got to go to where people yeah, are Yeah, there's at. a lot of people that are not looking at the inside game, that are not no, no, involved no. in the... Trump's got to go. So right. that means they want to vote for the candidate that's most likely to defeat Trump. And they do not want to take a risk with a candidate that doesn't. Every poll has shown for the last few months, really, there are four or five Democrats that beat Trump. Buttigieg beats Trump. Actually, I saw one where Klobuchar beats Trump. Yes. Any Democrat. Any Democrat. Well, any Democrat versus Trump is, yeah, it's huge. But they ran, this was a real poll. They ran the Roomba, the, the vacuum, the, the robot vacuum thing on the floor. They ran that against Trump and, poll, and the Roomba one. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying that, so what yeah. I've told people is, look, stop worrying about the who beats Trump. There's four or five that could beat Trump. But remember, Hillary beat Trump and here we have Trump. So beating Trump is not enough. We have to crush Trump. Well, and Bernie's the only one who's going to bring out all those people who have been sitting out politics because there hasn't been anyone worth voting for. And that, and that's who's going to come out of the woodwork. Yeah. 110 million Americans that's, who do not vote. We only need a couple million of them, really. That's the we only way we're going to do it. Them, and but it's, a, but a, two million Bernie's more? the only guy who's going to inspire them. That's He's right. Going to Ins make them get out of their couches, get off their butts, and go to the poll because I think people he are, inspires me. Okay, well, I, look, we're, this is not a show where we're going to go into the history of Ben and Jerry's, but you do have to tell me, really, are you guys friends? <laughs> at this point, I hope so. <laughs> at, the, at, the at the beginning, were you friends? Uh, yes. Did you go yes. to school together? Yes, we grew up in the same town, and we met. 
uh, in junior high school together. Oh, you met in junior high school. Yeah. Okay. We were 13 years old. 13 years old. We were the two slowest, fattest kids in gym class. Right. So that's a true story. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I was not the first guy to be picked when they were choosing up sides. And where was Where was this high school? I was the last guy to get picked. Where is this at? This has had major effects on my life. The fact that you were last. 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 Always last. Do we have to pick Cohen? Oh, really? you take Cohen. I mean, it didn't matter. Are you saying it, it didn't God. matter what team it was? It was horrible. No matter what sport. Basketball. Always baseball. Last, you name it. Anything. Last. Kickball. Kickball. Yeah. Dodgeball. Last. Oh, very last. Wow. Hopscotch? They, uh, very, very. Well, that was not a team sport. But I didn't. I, I, you know, I was kind of an uncoordinated kid. Uh, right. And fat. Right. And slow. What was your issue, Jerry? I was also fat. I was very shy. Uh, you know, sort of a bookworm. Yeah. He was a mathlete. So he's the smarter of the two of you. Know? <laughs> oh, very much so. Yeah, <laughs> That's what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I, mean, I think he, we could he's say a college graduate. Ben and I were not in the social mainstream. In, right. Uh, you were real outsiders. But Jerry was an incredibly, nerds, an incredibly right? kind guy. Jerry is the only guy I know who got a ticket, a traffic ticket, for overloading that... He picked up so many hitchhikers in his parents' Oldsmobile convertible. That's right. Known as the Jew Canoe. uh, (laughs) That he got stopped by the cop and got a ticket for overloading. Wow. There wasn't public transportation, and I was trying to provide a service. Now, what town was this again? This was in Merrick in Long Island. Merrick. This was on the way to the beach, right? Yeah, this was at the beach. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I pleaded guilty with an explanation. (laughs) <laughs> so you weren't social misfits, but you were socially not on the right rail. We were not the in crowd. We were not fast. We were slow. And if I went to your high school and I saw, I went into the cafeteria, where would the two of you be sitting? Well. At your own table by yourself? Well, I, I think there were some situations where I was like that. But, but no, I ended up having some, some friends. Yeah. Were you able to ask anybody out on a date by the time you were 20? Yeah, yeah, but I was slow. Slow. Jerry? No, not really. No. I, I, I got a girlfriend in high school when I was a senior because I was one of the last senior boys left who was available, and uh, this, this other high school girl took pity on me. Her real boyfriend was away at college. Oh, my and God. And then when he would come home... So you got a pity date. <laughs> you know, it worked out fine. I, yeah. I, I, I was the editor of my high school yearbook, and my girlfriend was the layout editor. Wow. So <laughs> that made, so you made sure all, all your best pictures were in there. Absolutely. Right, right. Okay, so you graduate from high school. One of you... you act, Jerry, you make it through college. Absolutely. Ben does not. No. Several times. Several tried several times. Yeah. Can you name any of the institutions that you attempted? Uh, Colgate University, Mm -hmm. Skidmore College, Mm -hmm. uh, NYU, the University Without Walls. The University Without Walls was interesting because uh, it was kind of an administrative program. It was kind of the idea that the whole world was your campus, and. they didn't have any teachers, they didn't have any classrooms, and you're supposed to go out there and learn something, and then mm. you come back to this administrative body and 
prove that you learned it and they give you a degree. And Wow. And I tried to drop out of there, and they kept on insisting that I was still enrolled because there was <laughs> right. no campus. The whole world was your classroom. This place sounds great. This, this college would have been my safety. <laughs> my safety pick. You what, did you make it through college? I, no, no. I dropped yeah. out uh, first uh, semester of my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. So I got a good year and some in me, and then I just I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. So, you know, which was fine. I never made any money, though, after that. I mean, it was kind of like, but that was okay, too. I didn't care, you know. I, yeah, was, right. I was happy, and I'm a little bit younger uh, than you guys, but you're, you know, were you hippies? or We you... are pushing 70. Can you believe it? No. I mean, we're, we're going to be 69 March. Uh, in March. In March. But, wow. I mean, 69, I mean, that's pretty much the end of your 60s. Were you hippies at that time, or were you? You mean like in the 60s? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, how did, how did we you, had long hair and beards. Did you beards, go to Vietnam? You didn't go to and, Vietnam. And, uh, you know, we, we smoked pot. We believed yeah. in peace and love. A, yeah. lo- a lot like Jesus. Yes. Uh, Jesus was Jewish. That's right. Yes. Uh, what? Hippies. Uh, I think people put us in that category. Put, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, for a long time, they, well, were, what about they were talking about us as being hippie businessmen. Uh, I got a very high number. Yeah, that's how I got out. I got a high. Yeah. I got two seventy five. Yeah. Do you remember your number? It was around. It was, it was in that in neighborhood. High, yeah. uh, and they were only taking birthdays that year. Of, so I'm younger than you. So this is. I was like the last where they picked the bingo balls out of the machine with our birthdates <laughs> on it, and they only went up to like seventy or something that year. We so. had our friends and had a uh, a party on the night where they were picking the numbers. Yeah. And we, uh, we like, uh, drowned uh, a watermelon in uh, liquor, yes. alcohol. You know, right. you open up a plug and you yep. shove it in. And that was what we had for that party. And, uh, but I got a high number. You, you got a pretty low number. You know, uh, I think for people today, they don't understand what it was like the having numbers? a draft. <laughs> no. Like, you know, if there were a draft today, we wouldn't ha- be in all these wars. Well, that's true I in mean, a way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's right. I mean, That's right. the best thing we could do to keep us out of wars is to bring the draft back. When I'm president in eight years, mm-hmm. um, one of my platforms will be uh, there will be a draft, but we're drafting first only the offspring of the wealthy yeah. and uh, the CEOs <laughs> and uh, all defense contractors. Because if, if there's a need for a war and they're actually willing to sacrifice their children... right. Then the rest of us should probably think maybe we are in a little danger here and we should all kind of maybe join in to help. But if they won't send their kids, there's a Congress too. Their kids go first too. Yeah, you're right. It isn't that way. But when there was a draft, that's all I thought about during high school is how am I going to, what am I going to do? It was frightening, frankly. Yeah, I didn't want to go to jail. Yeah, I remember in our high school, you know, on a fairly regular basis, uh, the principal would come on the loudspeaker and say... uh, Another one of our graduates just died in Vietnam. Yeah. And there was a plaque in the, yeah, in the hall. Nine boys at my high school. Dead. For what? Just it's bothered me my whole life. And every time they would make that announcement or they'd announce it at the football game, I'd be so upset. You know, I, I, they'd start the national anthem. I didn't want to stand. They made me stand. If I go to a sporting event where they had beer, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sing the song. They dumped beer over my head. <laughs> it was like, you know, but I just was so upset. Yeah. You, you mentioned that we were talking here before we started the microphones going. 
with the crowd that was here in Fairfield. And you mentioned uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. And I, I brought that up, and I don't know where I got distracted by something. But um, so in sixth grade, I came up with my own uh, Pledge of Allegiance. Can you recite it for I us think, now? I, I think I can remember most of it. <clears throat> I pledge allegiance to the people of the United States of America and to the democracy and republic for which we stand, one nation, part of one world, with liberty and justice for all. Nice work, Michael. I just thought that sounded nicer. That's so much better. Not to a flag, <laughs> to the people. I stand with all the people of this country to yeah. make a better world but and acknowledge it. At sixth grade, I'm thinking, this is not just us. This is one nation, part of one world, one yeah. planet. I think I tried to get indivisible in there, but I couldn't figure out how to... Like you get the whole word out. You know, you were, invisible. You you were a smart kid even then. Well, I was. I have, I have my mind on a lot of things. All right. <laughs> Let's just in high school when everybody was out on a date on Friday night, I was watching Star Trek. So, you know, blame them. But uh, you know, you guys have um, been very active politically for a long time. Uh, each in your own ways. Actually, you were very. You are different people, right? Thank you for acknowledging that, Jerry. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, uh, in these gatherings, Malcolm, you've been talking about being willing to take a risk and uh, being bold. And, you know, that's Ben. And it's not me. So it's, right. it's sort of interesting, our, our friendship and our partnership, how there are a lot of things that are similar between us. And then there are some things that are, you know, pretty different. Because, you, yes, you're different people. And so... You know, I would the way, the way I would describe this is uh, Ben is more outer and you are more inner, and we need both. I like to be a couple of steps behind Ben. You know, he is out front. <laughs> yeah, he, he, yeah. When he talks about being on that hairy line, <laughs> yeah. the hairy line. You don't know if you're on it until you've gone over it. Un right, that's true. But I say this to my crew when we're making a film that. Let's go up to that line and not be afraid to cross the line. And then just come back a little. We can come back. Yeah, yeah and, absolutely. But there are risks if we go over that line. And um, But I'd rather us approach that dangerous line because I think we're going to get more out of what we need to get. Whereas if we play it back here too far, you know, then it's just another documentary and you've seen all this. You know, Michael, yeah. I'm going to be two steps behind you too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. It's a great place to be. You know, you what know, a place. I, we like to I say was, we got your front. We, we got your front. I was once trying to, I had a meeting of our top managers at Ben and Jerry's, and I was trying to inspire them. And uh, I gave some talk, and I said, I would much rather fail at something new than succeed at something old. And they were not inspired. They were scared shitless. Oh, no. <laughs> you see, I've been this my whole life, even back when I was a little kid, I never thought it was wrong to fail or to make a mistake or to get a bad grade. I didn't care about any of this because I learned at an early age that it was by failing that I got better at whatever it was. So I didn't, I didn't like fear screwing up because I knew 
I would I would get it right. It's best if you fail only once at something. I mean, if you make the mistake, <laughs> don't make the mistake ten times. That's you know. Right, right, but right. I mean, failure is the road to success. You are out here on this campaign trail. You, I the, am thrilled to be on the campaign trail. Right. You know, as as we've been telling people, uh, we've been constituents of Bernie's in Vermont for thirty five years. You know, so. It's not like we're friends with Bernie or, you know, we hang out with him. It's, not, it's nothing like that, but we have seen him in action. He's been our mayor. He's been our congressperson. He's been our senator. We know the guy is real. He's the real deal. He's committed. He tells the truth. I mean, he's unwavering. He, you can count on Bernie. So it's nice for us to be able to go around and talk to people about what our experience has been. I mean, I think about all the different nonprofits I've been involved in, all the different uh, political activities I've been involved in, and the one thing I can do to move all of those things forward is to get Bernie elected. It's, yeah. it's the best, most efficient use of my time to accomplish all the things I've been trying to accomplish. Wow, that's well. That kind of sums it all up right there. I mean, it's now for the people listening, and I, a lot of people listen to this. They support Elizabeth Warren, they support Mayor Pete, uh, they support Biden. I don't know how many Trump supporters are listening, but they're welcome to listen to this. But what do you say to people that that they like these other candidates? Because and they, and they they kind of all they all believe in a lot of the big basic things. I mean, you know, I say look at the track record. I mean, look what this guy's been doing his entire life. His entire life has been devoted to justice, economic justice, racial justice, social justice, environmental justice. I mean, think of any, any issue, any area, war and peace, the rigged economy, gay rights, transgender rights, women's rights, rights for African-Americans. Bernie is the leader. You know, he's the guy who was out there in the wilderness talking about universal health care and, uh, you know, publicly funded colleges and universities like 35 years ago. You know, I mean, Bernie changed the course of our national debate our national discourse i mean mm. so yeah i i want the original <laughs> i want the, the guy OG, who's, OG i want the yeah. guy who's feeling it in his soul in his bones in his spirit i mean while the guy was still a student in college the guy got arrested for uh protesting segregated housing i mean right He's a fight. He's not a politician. No, he's a fighter right. for justice. That's very and true. And he uses politics to accomplish it. You know, right now he's been polling at number one or number two, mostly number one, in most of the polls. Yeah. Around the country, I mean, how um, how heartening is that for you? Um, it is because I'm a little surprised. On some I mean, level. I mean, yeah, you're a young squirt, but I mean, yeah. in my entire life. There has never been a presidential candidate this close who had the same values that I value. Mm-hmm. I mean, is miracle too too uh, too much? Is that? I mean, it's it's incredible. I, I 
and we're so close. <laughs> and what do you say? And, and the reality is that you know, if you look at the way people actually feel, uh, the huge majority of Americans agree with what he's talking about. It's just that they don't vote, and this is finally a time to get out and vote because this is not politics as usual. Well, you know, that's that's the way I think about it. That uh, what Bernie has been talking about—that it's a rigged economy, that uh, it's a system that benefits the few, and most people don't get a fair shake. I think that's something everybody knows. Everybody understands that to be right. true, right? right? I mean, that, this is not like some bizarre thing. No, Everybody knows it. The, it. the question is, uh, are you okay with it? Do you think we can change it? Are you willing to do something about it? And I think if you want to change it, if you think, yes, we can do it, Bernie is the guy who can do it. So I'm willing to do it. I'm, I, I, I tell people, look, if, if you, if you want to settle settle for something else but if you really want to change things right if you if you want the system that is going to be fair right and it's fairness it's it's just a matter of fairness what do you say to people that are afraid that uh, well they say i like bernie but i don't think he can i don't think he can beat trump i don't think he can win what, what's what's your answer to that he is probably the only guy that can beat trump because he's the only guy who's going to inspire all those people sitting on the sidelines to finally get out and vote. I mean, you've been saying, Michael, what, there's a hundred million people in our country of yeah. voting age that, do that vote. don't vote. Right. And, you know, there's a good reason why they don't vote, which is that there hasn't been anybody worth voting for. That, you know, it's been Republicrats. It's been, you know, which corporate... Uh, which corporate tool do you want to vote for? The the Democratic to- corporate tool or the Republican corporate tool? I mean, they all were owned, they were bought and paid for by, uh, you know, money from corporations and the mm. ultra-wealthy. Mm. I mean, Bernie was the first major presidential candidate in history to run and say, I'm not going to take any big contributions. I mean, that was the first true publicly funded uh, presidential campaign. Yeah, we're in the middle and, of that right now. And now some of, you know, no now Elizabeth money. followed him. Yeah. I mean, well, right. Ben, I, re- I remember you telling me when Bernie ran in 2016, when he said he wasn't going to take big money, that you thought that was a mistake. Yeah, I did. I, I didn't think there was any chance that he was going to raise enough money to mount uh, a competitive campaign. And then I came to understand that he understood that if there weren't enough people willing to pony up small donations, that he didn't want to become president anyhow. Right. Because if, if there weren't enough people willing to support his campaign, then there definitely weren't going to be enough people once he got elected to help him push through the agenda that he wanted to push through. Right. Yeah, and so and so, what we see now is he's got more donors than anyone. He and with more money raised, he's got more money than any of the candidates, and yet the um, the he's got the lowest amount that's donated to him per 
donation, $18.50. It's amazing the range of this. So most donors donating the least amount of money, which says a lot about who the donors are, and nobody comes close to them in terms of the amount of money that's been raised from these small donors. A true candidate of the people. Well, but Bernie says if even if he gets elected, he needs to have the support of people to push through his programs. No president could do it by himself to have what he calls a political revolution, to have the regular people rising up and saying our system is broken. And Franklin Roosevelt, there's that very famous story about when the people who wanted to get Social Security passed, and I went to see him, and he said, I can't pass it for you. Yeah, I, there's going to have to be a movement of citizens. If you create that movement, I'll get my part done here. And then they did that. They did that, and, and Roosevelt came through. But, um, but he was being very honest with them that no one person can just wave a magic wand to make this stuff happen. And what I've seen on this campaign trail is that movement, that everybody understands that when he says that on Inauguration Day, when he enters the Oval Office, we're all going in there with him. Yeah. We're all literally going in there, literally. That he, he will have that open door for the people, not the lobbyists, not the corporations, not the people that he's going to make pay more taxes. But I believe that the teachers are going to be able to talk to their president. The nurses are going to be able to talk to their president. The construction workers are going to be able to talk to their president. The bus drivers are going to be able to talk to their president. And it's going to feel really different because when have we ever had this? Yeah, I mean, if we don't elect Bernie, we just resign ourselves to being corporate pawns for the rest of our lives. So, Michael, what's it been like for you being out here in Iowa, going to different towns and different rallies? Well, I've loved it, first of all. I'm invigorated by it. I'm on, Right now, it's day six or seven here of, um, of uh, the 12 days that I'm here. Uh, the, what I'm calling the 12 days of Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> on the first day of mm. Iowa. No, I don't, I don't really have a song. Actually, now, this gives me an idea. Yeah, yeah, we should come up with we this. Should we can this, work on this. We should write this song now. Um, but um, no, here's what I've seen. I've seen Flint, Michigan, all over the state. I've seen that it's not just where I'm from, that the people, especially in some of these towns, the struggle, the day-to-day, week-to-week struggle to get by, to make ends meet, to, oh, we were in some, where were we at? Uh, Cedar, I think it was Cedar Falls, where the woman stood up and AOC was on the stage doing a Q&A. And she said, my wages have just been garnished. They're taking 20% of my wages because I couldn't afford the hospital bill. I'm behind on paying the hospital. And so I lose 20% of my wages every week. And she broke down and started to cry. And Alexandria had to leave the stage to go down into the audience and hold this woman as she sobbed. And But she wanted to keep going. She wanted to make sure people heard the story of, of what, how... She's being made to suffer. What was her crime? She got sick. She got sick and needed to go to the hospital. We were all so affected by this. And yet, we know, we know if you're not living in a bubble, this is not an unusual story. And there is no developed country on this planet where anybody has to worry about 
losing their job, losing their house, losing anything because they get sick. Just the opposite. You're embraced. What can we do for you? How can we do it? You need to stay in the hospital another week, you stay here. That's the way the rest of the world lives. And it looks, we look so bad. I don't know, I don't know. In the history of mankind, it's not unusual for a nation or a group to say, hurt the enemy, whoever the enemy, the outsider, the, 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 um, you know, the country next door, whatever. Like we have a strong history of being shitty <laughs> to other human beings. But generally, throughout history, you don't shit on yourself. You don't do that because you got to stay strong. You, you could be going under. If you don't have a strong country, you don't shit on your own children. You make sure those kids are taken care of because they're the ones who are going to defend you and take care of you as you get older. That's always been the concept of you take care of your own because then everybody benefits from it. The fact that we are the only country in history that would knowingly shit on its own people to make them more sick, to make them in more despair, to have their, children's being, their children being less educated. These are the stories we hear all around this mm -hmm. state. This is the, the, the struggle that these people, and somebody said here earlier today, I forgot what, what town we were in, and you know, he said, we're always told like about the Electoral College, don't let, the, don't let these East Coast, West Coast people get rid of the Electoral College because uh, we in Iowa or Nebraska will be forgotten. And the person at the table said, we're already forgotten. We have the Electoral <laughs> College. How's it helped us? We're, not, we're, not, we're here struggling to get by. We can barely get by. You know, and let's just, just cut the ruse here. Cut the crap. People are angry. People uh -huh. are angry in Iowa. You know, they talk about Iowa's nice, nice people. Man, where were we? Was it, I think it was Fort Dodge. We walked into the hall, into the room, and the looks on people's faces was like, wow, at some point, they will say enough. At some point, the boot will have been on their necks just long enough to where they say enough, and they will rise up. I don't want to wait for that day. I'd rather we get the boots off everybody's necks right away and let them participate in the world's richest economy. Let them participate in this great democracy. But you know what? They don't see the, the powers that be. It benefits them to have us fighting each other, to have us shitting on each other, to, to uh, it, hurt, it helps them when we're feeling sick, we don't go to the doctor, we put it off, we put it off, we put it off until it's too late. You ever hear this term dead peasants insurance? You ever hear this term? Dead no. Dead peasants. 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 Dead peasants insurance. <clears throat> this was revealed about, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago, where companies like Walmart, insurance companies were selling them policies on their employees, that life insurance policies, so that if the employee died, they can name themselves, the employer, the beneficiary. And the employee never has to learn or know that there's a policy taken out on them in their name. And so, so just think of the genius of this. So you work people, longer hours, less pay, no benefits, no doctor to go see when you get sick. You're making this up, right? I am not making this up. You're going to Google this when you leave here and you're going to go, Michael fucking Moore, he's telling us <laughs> this shit. You know, you're gonna do. You're gonna Google dead peasants insurance, and you're gonna see everybody from the, that participated in this, from Walmart to Bank of America, 
to like big corporations with with and I went and interviewed a family that lost their young mother who died. Walmart collected. Do you remember what the how much they collected? Tens of thousands of dollars on this woman's death. When we have a system where it benefits the company if you die before your time and if they can maybe help contribute to this by having you work your ass off for nothing and then they get the benefit because we have an insurance system that allows something that they would never allow in another country but they allow it here did you come up with this idea in junior high school to hey let's make an ice cream well what happened was that uh we were both failures uh, as you know, I had... Dropped. Hard to imagine, right, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> On the basis of our, our song uh, we just heard. I had, uh, you know, uh, dropped out a few times, and I finally found myself in pottery. I, not I, po- I, not I, poverty. I, to- pottery. Pottery. I took a pottery course, and this, it was finally, this is what I was meant to do. It was an I mean, epiphany. I, I, it was an epiphany, that's it, thank you. And uh, so I decided I wanted to become a potter. So I started making pots and taking them around to uh, craft shows, and nobody would buy my pottery. Mm. Uh, It was like one of the most depressing times. Mm. There were two depressing times. This was a a hugely depressing time in my life. You know, you unpack all this crap, set it all up, watch everybody buy everybody else's stuff, and then take all your crap and pack it up anyhow so jerry and i were kind of friends and he had uh well you can tell your story but i I went to college and applied to medical school and got rejected from medical school and got a job as a lab technician in a biochemistry lab so that i could reapply to medical school and i got rejected from medical school again and so yeah, ben, ben and I were pretty much failing at what yeah. we were trying to two, do. Two losers, and we, and so <laughs> we said, uh, well, we're not getting anywhere. We're going to have to start our own business, and you know, since the only thing we really liked doing was eating, it needed to be a food business. Right. And uh, originally, it was going to be a restaurant. Uh, we looked into a rotisserie business, a rotisserie restaurant. We looked into a fondue restaurant. Uh, we looked into a crepe restaurant. Bagels. Ba- oh, bagels. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. going to be bagels. And, uh, you know, a friend of ours who knew something about business said, whatever you do, don't open up a, a, fo- uh, you know, a, a restaurant. Uh, he said, if it has to be food, do a very, very limited menu. And uh, so we picked ice cream. And uh, Was the idea to be an ice cream restaurant? The idea was to be a homemade ice cream shop. A one shop. one homemade ice cream one, shop. One Nothing home, more than one it. homemade ice cream shop. We wanted to make uh, $20,000 a piece, and um, we thought we'd keep the ice cream shop for a few years and sell it and buy a, a, a tractor-trailer truck and become cross-country truck drivers. Wow. Yeah. And we could have done podcasts from our tractor-trailer. Yes, yes. That, that would have been instead, cool. So, did you open this one shop? We did. Mm-hmm. Where was it? Burlington, Vermont. In Burlington, Vermont. Yeah. And so, you know, as, as Ben described, we didn't have any business training. So, we were just going to become shopkeepers. Right. And we learned how to make ice cream from a correspondence course. Mm-hmm. And, wow. And, you know, thought we would do it for a little while. And, and then you just started, like, mixing things into the ice cream? Because that really wasn't a thing. It was Ben's thing. 
It was your th- what you just started throwing. Well, shit you know, in the- I have this. Uh, I have a deficit. I have a sensory deficit. Uh, I don't really have much of a sense of smell, and when you don't have much of a sense of smell, you don't really have much of a sense of taste. Right. And so, did you say wow or why? No, I said right. I, I right. get this. Ah, no, you're, yeah, you're no, with me. Co- All right. I'm with you. The uh, nose and the uh, taste nose, are connected. Right, right. Smell and taste. Smell and taste. Memory, too. But yes. I don't have a memory either. Maybe that's why. But anyhow, when you have a sensory deficit, you your other senses get more... Uh, Enhanced. More, more enhanced. enhanced. Right. That's it. Enhanced. So your hearing and your eyes and... No, none of those. Touch? No. Well, mouthfeel. Yes. I have... Texture. A, a ver- texture. Very, very right. big on food texture. Yes. And that's why all that stuff in the ice cream, so that there could be a textural variation between so you started the smooth experimenting. Cruising. Very much so, yeah. Literally. So I was, I was the guy making the ice cream. Okay. Ben would tell me what he wanted me to make, and so I'd make it. I'd give it to Ben. He'd say, well, it tastes really good, but I can't tell what flavor it is. Can you put more flavor in it? And, you know, so we finally had strongly flavored ice cream that Ben could even taste, and then he wanted big chunks of cookies and candies, and it's all Ben. Wow. It's always been all Ben. No, but certainly. All Ben all the time. No, no, no. But well, I mean, the problem, yeah. if it was all Ben all the time, there wouldn't be any ice cream. Right. Because somebody <laughs> but ben, tell, tell, tell them about your support group for uh, people who can't smell. Ooh, this is great. You know, all these deficits have support groups. All these deficits have support groups. You know, yeah. like if you can't hear, you yeah, got yeah, yeah. support groups for the deaf, for the blind, yeah. all that. But no support groups for people who can't smell. Mm. And so my idea was to form a support, a support group called NOSI, the National Organization for the Smelling Impaired. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. don't you think that's like I a huge winner? Did it happen? No, <laughs> no. it hasn't happened. No, it and, hasn't happened. You know, I've been talking about it for 20, 20, okay. 30 years. Can I just say, though, that, that my image of what, how this was birthed, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, You've got Jerry, the lab genius, mm-hmm. right, uh, making the actual ice cream. Exactly. He figured and, out the formula. Okay. And then we've got you next sitting. Eating the ice cream. Well, no, you're sitting. You're, you're sitting. Basically, my image of this is you're sitting there high, high as a kite. Just throwing <laughs> shit into the ice cream vat as it's swirling around as they're making the ice cream, and you're just like, "Wow, I wonder what that would taste like." Bing, and you're just popping it in there. You know, you know, this is just a a common folklore, Michael. <laughs> it wasn't like that. It, it wasn't two hippies. Getting no, high, no, and just saying, no, no you know, not, we'll not be, at all. I mean, we'll it be, is here's true. A, here's an idea. It, let's <laughs> just let's just half bake the cookie. <laughs> half, yeah, because that's what we are. We're half baked right now, and we'll just toss that in the big vat. It wasn't like not that. Like we were that. very serious, young, aspiring shopkeepers. We were trying to do it by the book. We were trying to be good business people. We were trying to keep track of everything, keep track of all the money, keep track of all the okay, but ingredients, <laughs> keep track of the inventory. Yeah. You had little books and you kept track of all this. But you also have admitted that you're not good businessmen. First of all, you revealed it to me, the fact that you don't know about dead peasants 
insurance. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> forgot to take that out on our employees. You are very, very bad. You're not very good capitalists and not good businessmen that you weren't figuring out how you could exploit uh, your workers. So I'm just saying. So, But here you do have, I'm assuming you have the same ethos then that you have now. You, you, have, a, you have a sense of something's not right with the economy, yeah, your business people, you have workers, you have to pay the workers, you have to take care of, treat the workers. How are you going to treat, how am I going to treat the workers? Well, what all happened, this stuff you're thinking about. What, what happened is that, you know, we were, we had this little business, uh, you know, I don't know what it make a hundred thousand dollars the first year, 200,000 the second. I mean, this is gross. I mean, it didn't net anything. Yeah. And then the business started growing. Uh, what this happened, one shop did. Well, what happened was that uh, we ended up opening in Burlington, Vermont, which is, you know, a really cold place, mm-hmm. uh, very close to the Canadian border. Right. Uh, in the winter, people stopped buying ice cream. So we started to, to, to try to stay alive. We started wholesaling tubs of our ice cream to restaurants. And then we uh, and then we were kind of losing our shirt. Uh, delivering to these restaurants in these far off places and they weren't buying much and so we thought in a last ditch effort to stay alive we would uh, put the ice cream in pints and sell it to the mom and pop grocery stores that were along Mm. the way so then the Mm. business grew and uh, it was at a level of about uh, three million dollars a year or so and Jerry and I turned around and looked at ourselves one day and said hey, <laughs> this isn't what we had in mind. You know, I mean, we're not ice cream men anymore. We're, we've become businessmen, and we're not spending our time, uh, you know, scooping ice cream to our people we knew on the other side of the counter. We were dealing with accountants and lawyers and uh, hiring and firing and writing memos and all that kind of stuff. And, and we felt like we were becoming just another cog in the economic machine that tends to exploit a lot of people that we felt like business exploits its employees it exploits the community it exploits the environment and we said we didn't want any part of that Mm -hmm. and we were about to sell the business and uh and then i ran into this uh old probably a guy who's about my age now, <laughs> eccentric restaurateur uh, who I was delivering ice cream to. His name was Maurice Purpura. And I was telling him that we were, you know, planning to sell the business. And he said, Ben, you're crazy. How could you possibly sell the business? It's The business is your baby. It's just taken off. It's starting to get really, really popular. It has so much potential. And I said, Maurice, you know what business does? It exploits the community, it exploits the environment, it exploits the employees. And Maurice said, Ben, if that's not the way you want your business to be run, why don't you just run it different? And uh, that had never really mm. occurred to me mm. before. Mm. And so we decided to keep the business and conduct this experiment to see if it was possible that, you know, that the tool of business is kind of like a hammer, that you can either use it to build things or you can use it to destroy things, that, that the actual tool of business is neutral. And we decided to conduct this experiment to see if it was possible to use our business 
to improve the quality of life uh, for our employees, for the community, for the environment. And, you know, I, I thought we were going to fail. You know, it hadn't mm-hmm. really been done. Right. And uh, so what you got out of a piece of paper and you said, let's see if we can do these things. One, two, three. I wouldn't say it was exactly like that. One, two, three. But you had you ideas piece in of, your mind. Well, you know, bit by bit, we felt our way along. We tried one thing, give me, give me it didn't an, work. An tried idea. another thing, didn't work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what happened was uh, at about that time, the business had grown to a point where uh, we needed to move the business. We needed to move into, we were in a very makeshift operation using World War II upper. World War II era ice cream equipment, and we were in a rented facility, and working conditions were lousy. We needed to actually build an ice cream plant, a real ice cream plant, and you know, so we needed to we needed some money to do that, and uh, we had all these uh, offers from venture capitalists knocking on our doors, saying, "Hey, we want to." invest money in your business because we can see it's growing and instead of taking that money we decided to use that need for cash as an opportunity to make the community the owners of the business so that as the business prospered the community would automatically prosper because they'd own it how'd that work uh well we ended up figuring out a way to do what became the first ever in-state Vermont public stock offering. So we sold stock in Ben and Jerry's to our neighbors, Vermonters, uh, for a very low minimum buy. It was $126. We were, you know, this is normally, this is like an IPO. This is normally something that's reserved for sophisticated investors that have, I don't know, $5,000, right. to invest and... And so they, and that's how it, that's how that started. Yeah, at one out of every hundred Vermont families bought stock in Ben and Jerry's. Wow, wow! Yeah. So it was essentially community owned. Was yeah. there like a board of directors and a, yeah, all of that, all of that. And yeah, you should have seen. I mean, we had great shareholders meetings. I mean, you know, normally corporations deliberately hold their shareholders meeting in an inaccessible place at a very inconvenient time because they don't want people to show up. (laughs) But we wanted our people to show up, so we had, you know, essentially a two-day festival. It was a two-day music festival and, uh, you know, had to rent the biggest tent in Vermont to put them all in. Mm -hmm. It was was amazing. It was a beautiful, beautiful time. How did it work then in a year where you had profit? Where'd the profit go? Uh, back into the business. It was it was all reinvested. Uh, well, did the know, shareholders we were get growing. anything? Did they get any money? No, there was no distribution of What was in it profits. for them then to be a shareholder? Well, uh, the idea, the theory was that the value of the stock kept on increasing uh, as the business grew larger and larger and more profitable. And, you know... Usually at these shareholders meetings, there would be, you know, there would be a question and answer period at the end. And there'd be somebody who put up his hand and said, hey, when are we going to see some money from this? 
and uh, and then there'd be someone else in the audience who would stand up and say, just owning stock in this business itself is is enough. You know, that we don't mm-hmm. need any more right. from this. Wow. And eventually, you know, we had a, a national public stock offering and people who had bought that stock uh, were then able to sell the stock on the stock market if they wanted. Right. And, the, and the, as far as the workers, the employees, what decisions were made regarding them? Well, we had a uh, compressed salary ratio. What's we, that mean? You know, when we, at the time, the, the salary ratio in the company, in the country, was 40 to 1. Meaning? That the highest paid executive at big corporations. Yeah, okay were earning 40 times what the lowest paid worker was. Got it. And we thought that was way too much. And so we lowered it to five to one. Five to one. Five to one. You know, today, Wait a minute, you know that, what the spread is? Between, oh, it's got to be like 300 to one. Or 400 to 400 one. 400 to one. Oh, my God. So you did five to one, meaning at that time, if you're, if, let's say if your lowest paid worker made just 20,000 a year, yeah. that meant you guys would not make more than 100,000 a year. That's correct. And that was okay with you? Yeah. Ben. I'm just that type of guy. What did, can I say? Did, did, did Jerry go along with this? Yeah, we were both that type of guys. Because with 100,000 a year at that time, certainly, you probably then were able to live a good, well, you can live a good life on that, especially we're talking in the 19, you know, I mean, we the 1970s, 80s here, 19, uh, what, 80s? Yeah. I mean, it was fine. The the idea was not that you were going to limit how much people at the top made. The idea was that at the people at the top made more, you brought everybody along with them. They came up with you. Right. Wow. So everybody, I think we used to think about it as linked prosperity. Linked prosperity. Yeah. Wow. I'm learning things I've never heard here today. <laughs> well, is, uh, we've learned a lot from you, Michael. It's well, fair that you should learn a little from us. I mean, have you had the loose meat sandwich at the canteen? No, I mean, I'm, that's a famous I, place. It's an iconic place no, in Otumwa. On the way back. You will, ought to get your butt to Otumwa, baby. We will go all loose what, meat. What? Weren't you talking we about there. butt before Bernie's butt? <laughs> get your butt to Otumwa. This thing could be over in a month. You have to think right now yeah. about this week, next week. Super Tuesday is the first uh, Tuesday, uh, March 3rd. That's California. That's Texas. The week after that's, I think, Michigan and Florida. And it's, I mean, it's all going to happen really, really fast this time. Yeah. It's not so strung out all the way to June. And no, people have to think about this. And, they, and so this, this I, what, what are you saying? You're implying that we need to... Um, um, uh, we have <laughs> must to, leave we just got building a note in three minutes. By the building manager, Roger that. We can keep it going. That uh, what? Well, no, no. These guys, are, they yeah, got yeah, early we, got no, a, no, yeah, we got an early flight. I yeah. was wrapping up anyway. Yeah, this is like for all of a sudden. I mean, how many podcasts these, do you get out of these two this? guys? I mean, you can chop this up. You get three podcasts. No, no, no we don't do that. We, this is this is cinema verite, but in, with audio. <laughs> this is audio verite. Listen, I want to thank both of you um, uh, for being on my podcast here. Uh, it's it's really it's actually rare that we the public get to see the two of you together, and hear the two of you uh, uh, talk. And you're doing this now. You've been doing it in New Hampshire. You've come to Iowa. I assume you're going to keep doing this until yeah. uh, we get Bernie in the White House. Yeah. That's right. Wow. So people will, around the country will have a chance to meet Ben and Jerry. 
Do you do the ice cream too? Oh, or? yeah, we do the ice cream. Wow. You know, it's bad when the ice cream guys show up and it's, there's no ice well, there's cream. Never, <laughs> there's never free ice cream at a, a political event. I'm just looking at the door there now to the, to the building that children have now entered uh, because they probably heard all across town. You heard there's free ice cream here, didn't you? There's free ice cream. This is Ben and Jerry. And look at the kids have come in now. They seem wanting, happy. Wanting ice cream. But listen, thank you, both of you, for the work you've done. Uh, for uh, the incredible enjoyment you give us, even though I'm sorry that you don't have the the, the, smell, the sense of smell and, factory, and how it affects yeah, your taste right, and all right. that. But for the rest of us, let, let me, I'll just tell you, the Ben and Jerry's ice cream is really, really good. And I'm sorry you don't get to enjoy it. It's kind of <laughs> like you. Moses got to go right up to the Jordan River and couldn't go into the promised land. Ah, interesting. You're like yeah, the Moses, yeah. Moses of ice cream. Yeah, you brought yeah. us all to the ice cream, you but know, you yourself uh, can't enjoy it the way Jer- we enjoy Jerry it. Jerry and I actually have a, a costume uh, Passover celebration, and I am Moses. Are you serious, really? Uh, no shit. Oh, my God. Can I get invited to this? Yeah. Okay, I have to see this. What, this who, who are you going to be? Uh, I'm, I'll be the guy. I'll ask the four questions. Okay. okay. Well, that's usually the youngest little boy there. Yeah. Well, that, <laughs> well, you might with, be with the youngest you little boy with there. you guys, I might be. I might be. <laughs> uh, this is Rumble with Michael Moore. Rumble with Ben and Jerry. And uh, uh, coming to you on the campaign trail here in the great state of Iowa. This has been uh, quite an evening. Thank you, both of you, uh, for all that you've done for the betterment of mankind. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye, Jerry, and bye, Ben. Bye-bye.